I'm going to suggest that you do open your Bibles and follow along. It is a long narrative. It is a good narrative. And it is what the Lord has in store for us this afternoon. 1 Samuel chapter 20. This is God's word to us. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks... Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at a table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, Would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if He is well disposed toward David. Shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, 
and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go, find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go for the Lord has sent you away. As far as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat at his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go on and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. As they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most, then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. 
because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose, and he departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been very kind to your people today. We're so grateful for the word proclaimed this morning. And we would ask once again, attend to your word by your spirit. Move upon us and allow us to be renewed in mind, to warmed, be warmed in our hearts of your redemptive work. In particular, the covenant that you made with your son. Bless our time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So David now is on the run. He is on the lamb. Saul's secret police has orders to hunt him down and to kill him. Thanks to Michael, though, David narrowly escapes from being trapped in his own house. But again, then again, in no time flat, the royal police tracked David down to Naoth where he was hiding with Samuel, and as we looked at last week, the school of the prophets. And yet, even though the Spirit guarded David while he was with Samuel, we should not underestimate how terrifying this would be for David. For sure, David is absolutely, make no mistake, a seasoned warrior. And he even has a Goliath-sized notch on his belt. But more than likely, and I want to remind you of this, David at this juncture of his life is a teenager. And he is all by himself to be hunted down, all alone, with a royal edict to die. And they're close behind. This could be very scary. And that's what we will see in this conversation that's up and coming with Jonathan. David is simmering with intense emotion here. Emotions of fear, of anxiety, of doubt, of sadness. And yet, besides the terror of being hunted down, there is Another problem facing David, and we'll address this problem this afternoon. The problem is the one of honor. That is, David is in danger of being labeled as a runaway servant, a defector, a rebel, a servant that has gone AWOL. Anybody in the military they, that, that spent any time knows that if you are AWOL, you're going, to, you're going to get it. And so to be labeled a runaway slave or a runaway servant brings major dishonor. And, and we recognize that, that in our culture, that this does not hold much value or, or respect for authority as much as it did during that time. But in the times of the Old Testament, obeying authority and honor meant an an immense amount. 
David is the servant of Saul, so let us not forget that. And Saul is his master, his lord, his liege. And David now is on the run. He is not presently doing his duty on behalf of his master. And so from an outward appearance, this does not speak well of David. And the point is this, this is going to weigh heavily on him. It weighs on his conscience. And so this is why David leaves Samuel in the school of the prophets, and he returns to Saul's son, Jonathan. You see, David needs to clear this problem up. This is paramount. And from David's questions to Jonathan, the moral issue is clearly obvious. His conscience is tormented with doubt. You see, David thinks that he has sinned in some way or another. Certainly, Saul wouldn't just try to kill him for no reason, right? Look at David's question to Jonathan at the end of verse 1. What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin that your father seeks my life? It's bad enough to run for your life, but to be hounded by self-guilt can be absolutely torturous. And what is interesting about this exchange with Jonathan is that Jonathan himself needs a little persuading. He's not convinced that his dad is trying to kill David. Look at his response in verse 2 again. And he said to him, Far from it! You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? Is it not so? Now remember, the last chapter, this chapter 19 that we covered last week, Saul swore an oath to whom? Saul swore an oath to the Lord that David would not die. And Jonathan still believes that Saul is keeping this oath. This means that all of those missions by Saul's messengers were more than covert. Saul has been keeping his plans away from Jonathan. What Michael knew, Jonathan does not. So David now has to persuade Jonathan. Now, this isn't hard, but you can practically feel David's emotions here in the text. Note verse 3 with me. But David vowed again. Brothers and sisters, that's as unto the Lord. That's a vow. Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, and he says this, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David tells Jonathan, your dad knows that you're very fond of me. Surely he has told his men not to tell you in order to to spare your feelings. In fact, David is so distraught, he swears this oath himself. By the life of the Lord, he says, there is but one step between me and death. David swears to Jonathan that there is one foot in the grave and the other on a slippery slope. Yes, there is no mistake about it. David thinks he's going to be dead soon. Well, Jonathan trusts David, and he is easily convinced. And so Jonathan immediately offers to help David 
in really in any way that he can. So David comes up with a test. Tomorrow, tomorrow is the new moon. David is obligated to eat at the king's table as a servant. So if David shows up, he, he knows that he will be killed. If he does not show up, he will be considered AWOL, disobedient, and a dishonorable servant. And so he's in this very serious dilemma. So he has Jonathan make up an excused absence for him. Basically, Jonathan is supposed to say something like this. David has a special family sacrifice. They've been planning it for a while. It's that yearly sacrifice. So he asked if he he could get away, and, and I gave him permission. Then, depending on Saul's reaction, they will learn Saul's heart towards David. One, if Saul is fine with this, that means peace, and everything is back to normal. But if he's angry, if he's angry, then Saul is determined to kill David. Now, this test seems rather pointless. David already knows where Saul stands. He just swore an oath to the fact. So here's the question. Are you ready? Why test something that you already know? Why would you test something that you already know? Well, it's because it's not the true goal of this chapter. Note verse 8 with me. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Did you see it? David stresses the fact that David is Jonathan's servant by a covenant. A covenant of the Lord. Therefore, if David is guilty of sin here, Jonathan must kill him and not hand him over to his father. Now, what's the effect of this? Well, it is that, that Jonathan has ultimate authority over David and not Saul. First and foremost, David is Jonathan's servant and not Saul's servant. Now this is important. This is important because it means that Jonathan Jonathan can release David from service. Jonathan has the authority to release David from his servant obligations. And so this is also just, this is paramount because this means that if he's released, he would not be considered a runaway servant. And this dynamic, this dynamic is played out with a themed verb in our chapter. It's the verb this, it's a phrase, to send away or to dismiss or to release, depending on the translation that you have in your hand. It's all the same word. Now, back in verse 5, David asked Jonathan to let him go or to release him. Then Jonathan tells Saul, David has asked leave of me. Now, on the surface, this is just an excused absence to go to Bethlehem. And in a cursory reading, that's what you would think. But underneath, it's freeing David from his position as a royal employee in order for him to remain upright. 
You see, the chief concern here is that David cannot be a rebellious servant. He must officially be released from this job. So then, once he is released, he can absolutely go and run for his life. Behind the whole plan is not just a desire to preserve David's life, but it's a zeal. Listen to me. It's a zeal to maintain his integrity. It's a zeal to maintain his uprightness as unto the Lord. You see, David would not be able to take the throne through any wicked or rebellious ways. This is, this is crucial. He's been anointed. He knows he's supposed to be king, but he can't ascend the throne that the Lord has provided if in any way he is rebellious. Yes, even if a royal edict of his own death has come his way. Well, Jonathan quickly agrees to David's plan. But David's anxiety, anxiety needs a little more reassurance here. So Jonathan takes David out to a more private place to put a seal of a covenant with him. Now, this covenant is found in verses 12 through 17, and there's two parts to it. One is what Jonathan promises to do, and two, what David must do in return. Got it? Two parts of a covenant. First, Jonathan promises to fill out his David's, uh, excuse me, his dad's intentions, and then he's to inform David. And so he agrees to this test. Okay. Then, if Saul is determined to kill David, Jonathan agrees to send David away that he may go in safety. That at the end of verse three, thirteen. In case you're looking. Now, literally. That means to release David that he may go in peace. That is, Jonathan will release David from his service. Now, the word safety or peace doesn't really sound right, for when David is released, he's going to be running for his life. This is hardly safe or peaceful. So what's going on here? My point is this. This is not a physical term. It's not a physical term, it's a moral term. David's release with me marked by moral peace. That means he he will be innocent and free from any charge of rebellion. This is crucial, especially during this time. And finally, Jonathan blesses David by saying, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now, how has the Lord been with Saul in the past? Well, he was with him for a time, especially to make him king. And so Jonathan rather explicitly prays here for the kingship of David. That should not be missed. Jonathan's actually swearing to aid David to come to the throne. This is a self-sacrificial commitment on Jonathan's part Think of the implication here. Jonathan is giving up his own rights to the throne for the sake of his friend, David. He swears loyalty to David over his own father, over his own personal interest. 
Now there's a second part of this covenant, which is what David must do. Note verses 14 and 15. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. What does David have to do? David has to show loyal love to Jonathan, but not just Jonathan, Jonathan's house. This means that the covenant becomes a permanent one. David must perform loyalty. That is, to do good to Jonathan's life in perpetuity. This is impressive. Because what do kings tend to do when they take a throne? Have you ever thought about it? They kill the family of the previous king. You don't want any rivals around, right? Now Jonathan's house is basically, and we know this, Jonathan's house is basically Saul's house. So in essence, David is having to swear love, not just to Jonathan, but also to the house of his enemy. David is showing love to Saul, even while Saul wants him dead. David's commitment is equally grand. So this is the covenant of friendship and loyalty that Jonathan and David make with one another. Note verse 17, Jonathan makes David swear again. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. My point is this. This is a covenant with how many oaths? Two. This is a covenant with two oaths. To make it twice as strong and as sure, it has been doubly sworn So why the redundancy? Well, the text tells us. Because Jonathan loved David as his own soul. The very lives and futures of these two friends are riding now on this covenant. The extra oath is to ensure that they are there for one another no matter what happens. And so in the name of Yahweh, they make a doubly sworn covenant of loyalty and friendship. Of course, an oath means you will die if you renege, if you go back on your oath. So these two friends are saying they will die for each other over these terms. To lay your life down for a friend belongs to the greatest sort of love. Well, this is the sworn covenant, and it's between Jonathan and David. Now, all there is now is to figure out is, is how is Jonathan going to notify David of Saul's reaction? Well, Jonathan comes up with the idea of archery practice. It's nothing like letting off steam with a little bit of archery practice. Depending on how Jonathan shoots the arrows and speaks to the servant boy, this is how you determine, and David will know the results. Well, here we are. The next day is the new moon feast. And this is where all of Saul's royal officials come. And they come and they dine with the king. And again, the scene is quite vivid as it is being painted for us here. For you can just picture here a royal dining room with a long and extravagant uh, table setting. I mean, all the trimmings. And I'm sure beef brisket is on the menu. 
Filet mignon, all the things. Saul sits at the head. His general Abner is on one side. Jonathan the prince sits on the opposite. Basically, the who's who of Israel are all in attendance. You could just see the Instagram photos coming. I didn't get anything out of that. Wow. Who would miss dining with the king? And Saul certainly takes notice. Now, his first thought is innocent enough. David must be or must have had an accident, and this has made him impure. He probably touched a corpse on the way in by accident. And you know, if you're impure, you cannot go to a sacred feast. And so no biggie, just an accident. That's, we'll, we'll look past that. Now, I want to mention something to you. This thought betrays two things about Saul. First, he still thinks that David is his servant. And so David has an obligation at the king's table. This is an important note. He would be there if he could. Second, the Saul must think that David is, is none the wiser of this murder plot. Saul still assumes here that he has a leg up on David. I've tried to kill David before. He, he knows I had this whole harmful spirit thing going on. Certainly he'll be back. Of course, the next day there's a feast and David's chair is still empty. And at this point, Saul knows something is up. So he asked Jonathan, hey, what's going on with your friend David? Jonathan's response here seems innocent, and he basically follows David's plan from verses 5 and 6. But Jonathan's word choice can be heard on two levels. First, Jonathan simply acknowledges that he gave David an excused absence to deal with a family matter. Any halfway decent boss will give you time off for a special family event, right? And yet, on the second level, Jonathan drops a loaded term. Note verse 29 with me. He adds to David's request, If I have found favor in your eyes, this term, let me get away. Or more literally, let me escape. Now, escape really could be used as the themed word for our last chapter. As you recall last week, Saul yelled at Michael, You let my enemy... What? Escape. My point is this. Jonathan basically tells his dad in a veiled, but in no uncertain terms, David asked to be released as my servant, and I let him free to escape you. Jonathan has just showed his hand to his dad. And he has also shown that he has taken his stand with David. This is why Saul now erupts so explosively by basically cussing Jonathan out. In fact, he calls Jonathan, listen to this, the son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Brothers and sisters, this is crass language. If we were listening to the radio, you would hear beep, beep, beep. Then Saul chews Jonathan out for choosing David over the throne. He essentially says, What could be more shameful than to give up your family and your royal heritage for this loser of a friend? Jonathan, however, does not 
back down from his dad. Note what he shoots back at verse 32. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? These questions charge Saul as being a tyrant. To kill an innocent man is what dictators do. And so Jonathan lays the bare the crimes of his father. Of course, Saul, he's not going to put up with such lip from his boy. Any boy who says this gets the spear. Saul hurls his spear at his own son. When it comes to holding power, Saul won't even balk at trying to murder his own flesh and blood. Well, what we have here is a total breakdown of the relationship of this father and this son. Jonathan storms out of the room. He's furious with his dad. And rightfully so. He has been publicly shamed in the royal court. And his grief for his friend robs him of his appetite. It's sad how jealousy, as well as the lust of power, can destroy all of those that are around you. Well, the next morning, Jonathan fills this promise to David to blow off steam He sets out to go for some archery practice. He gives the signal to David. And then he sends the the lad, the little boy, back to town. This final scene in our narrative this afternoon is drenched with painful emotions. David prostrates himself on the ground. And he does this. Listen to me. He bows down three times to Jonathan. That is... He honors Jonathan with a total display of gratitude and devotion. Why? Because Jonathan kept his promise over and above his relationship with his father, the king of Israel. But neither of these friends can keep back the tears. They kiss each other a farewell and they weep over one another. This reminds me of one of those stories back in World War II. You guys have probably read it back during that time when parents would have to send their young children west with nothing but a backpack. It's too dangerous to stay and the parents couldn't go. Now what does this goodbye mean for David? Well, first, it does mean that he is dismissed uprightly from Jonathan's service, but... It also means that he has been dismissed only to become a refugee. This goodbye makes David an exile with a price on his head. Everywhere he goes, there's going to be wanted posters. Dead or alive, 100,000 gold shekels. You could just see it. The point is this. While he has been marked now by honor as a good servant, he is still in exile. He is still considered a criminal on the run. Imagine sending off your best friend into a life of peril. They stay, you know that they're going to die. To stay truly is certain death. To go, the odds are not much better, but it's your only option. And so they weep over one another as if they're at funerals. 
These two close friends are being ripped apart by death, even while they are still alive. And yet, in this goodbye, these two friends have one comfort. Jonathan gets to honor, to give its voice. Notice what it says in verse 42. This is beautiful. Go in peace. That is, David is released justly. He's not, just, he's not a runaway slave. He's not a rebellious servant. Rather, his loyalty of service is upheld, and it is upheld with integrity. Saul's charges cannot stick against David, for Jonathan preserved the integrity of his friend David. And at this point, Jonathan and David may never see one another again. They may forever be separated, but they are united in the Lord by faith. Look at the middle of verse 42. The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring. And it says this, forever. This covenant bond is identified with the Lord Himself. And so, in the few minutes we have left, why? Because the Lord is the guarantee or the guarantor of the covenant. As the witness and guarantor of the double O's, the Lord will keep these two friends forever. Life has pulled them apart, but in the Lord, their friendship will not die. Well, David heads out by himself, and Jonathan has to return to a father that has just tried to skewer him. But together they have a friendship. A friendship held by a double oath. Listen to me for a minute. Brothers and sisters, Scripture may not give us a treatise on the importance of godly friendships, but it does provide something better. We have before us this afternoon a living picture of what true brotherly friendship in the Lord looks like. And here we got a witness to this in action. We learned more about friendship in this narrative than what an essay could ever teach us. And this narrative about Jonathan David's friendship is so valuable. Why? Because it is a part of the Lord's larger redemptive story. A redemptive story of Christ and His friends. You see, friendship was a part of Christ's life. I don't know if you've thought about that much. In fact, he had 12 friends, didn't he? They hiked around and they learned from him. They sat under his teaching for how long? For three years. Real love, real friendship was forged. And these friendship was a comfort. It was a comfort not just to the disciples, but to our Lord himself. Jesus was no stoic who didn't need friends. When a bunch of other disciples abandoned Jesus, he asked The twelve, are you going to leave me too? And Peter responded by saying, no. Where else will we go? You hold the words of life. Imagine all that would have been shared. Jesus' earthly ministry, brothers and sisters, was his exile. It was his state of humiliation. And during his exile, he had the comfort of friends. 
Yes, the disciples were annoying. They could be a pain in the neck at times, but they still were his friends. And at the very moment that Jesus' exile reached its zenith, let me ask you, what, what did his friends do? Do you remember? Well, sadly, they all abandoned him. Jonathan never betrayed David, but all 12 of Jesus' disciples, his friends, betrayed him. One by one, they turned their backs. David was sent off with a kiss of love. But Christ, the kiss of betrayal. Peter even swore allegiance, but under the pressure of a young girl, what did he do? He denied his friend. He denied the Lord three times. Listen, one of the ways that Scripture shows us the agony of Christ's death was, in fact, Him losing all of His friends. Yes, the cross was the wrath of God, make no mistake. It was Jesus being nailed to a tree, a crown of thorns placed in His head, a spear in His rib. And yet we forget one of the anguishes He endured was one of complete, listen to this, of complete abandonment. All those that loved Him abandoned Him. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ tasted absolute loneliness. You think you've ever experienced loneliness? Could you ever have imagined? In His human nature, when He took upon Himself the sins of the elect, the Father abandoned Him. This is the deep pain that Jesus suffered. In the end, he was alone, naked, suffering, and abandoned of all love. And this punishment is what our saving Lord did for you and I. I want to remind you that Christ did have something. And this is beautiful, so don't lose this part. He had an oath from the Father. Christ went into his exile of death with a covenant. As he prayed to the Father in John 17, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work, listen to this, you gave me to do. Jesus had the covenant of redemption. He fully fulfilled his assignment of that covenant with the Father, and he did so perfectly. And as a result, He receives us back as blood-bought friends. And so, brothers and sisters, He loves you and He has never betrayed you. He knew you by name from eternity past. Every past, present, and future sin He bore in loneliness. And He took the unabated wrath of God for you and He called you this friend. Jesus said it himself, did he? There is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. This, of course, he said about himself, and he said about your salvation. And because he kept his oath, listen to me, because he kept his oath, so the Father kept his oath to give you to Christ. 
Yes, the Father and the Son kept their covenant with each other so that you might have salvation. Your salvation is sealed, listen to me, with a double oath. And it is this double oath, this friendship with Christ, that should be your comfort, even now. It should be your strength during this current exile and pilgrimage that we live in on this side of heaven. Brothers and sisters, you have heard me say before, you may lose all your money, your house, your job. You may lose your human friends and family. They may abandon you because you have the gospel. But the Lord Jesus holds tight. You, because He purchased you with His blood. In life and in death, you are His. And He is yours. And when Christ is your friend, you are enabled to be a better friend towards others. A friend towards God. A friend to our fellow saints. And so may we live towards one another in Christ our Lord. May we feel the challenge of the love of Christ to love God and to love neighbor.